pastor for RUF and uh, love the chance to get together. If we haven't met recently, we're old friends and we haven't caught up. I'd love to do so as well now that things have slowed down a little bit. So, uh, This semester we are working through a small section of John's Gospel, chapters 13 to 17, commonly called the Farewell Discourse. These are Jesus' last words to his followers. He knows he's about to die. He's preparing them for his absence, his departure. We're calling it his last lecture. And in the first couple of messages, we've seen uh, how he loves them and how he's preparing them uh, in his love for life. Afterwards, he's serving them. He's giving them an example. Uh, but tonight, we're going to read a longer section of text. It ends in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14. And it ends with this call for them to confidently, calmly trust in him. And it's astounding. And, and here's what you should be thinking to yourself. Like, wait, why is it astounding? Like, you're, you all are Christians. Isn't that what you do? Isn't that like your, your thing? You call people to trust in Jesus? And yes, it's sort of our thing. But it's astounding in this case because of all the stuff that Jesus says beforehand. And uh, frankly, all the stuff he says beforehand, followed by this, reminds me of a pretty common meme. I don't know if we have it or not. Up here, uh, yeah, that that one, <laughs> that one right there. You've seen this one, and that's exactly what this call in verse one sounds like. Jesus is describing for twenty verses an absolute disaster. It's a dumpster fire, and then in fourteen one says, "Be not troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me." And it can sound like this. And after we finish reading it, I think it's fair for us to ask, why in the world would they do that? Why would they feel that way? Why would, why would we rest calmly and trust in Him as well? So I'm going to read uh, chapter 13, verse 16. I actually don't know where I asked to start. I'm going to pick up in 16. You'll pick up in 18. We'll go from there. And Jesus says in verse 16, Truly I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, and certain of whom he spoke, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It's he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he'd said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, 
you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Good Father, we thank you for this word, these words, uh, and some hard realities here. We pray you would help us uh, to see you clearly, what you have us in this text, and you would lead us to a a faith and a deeper, uh, more restful, uh, thick-skinned faith in you, Lord Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, so what we have here is a betrayal story, and uh, you know literature and film are, are filled with with uh, all kinds of film uh, betrayal stories. The the two most popular, well known betrayals are both from ancient history, that of uh, Brutus and Caesar at Tu Brute. You remember that one, right? And then uh, this one, and uh, and the famous betrayal almost without a word, just with a kiss. Um, but, you know, we have lots and lots of films and lots and lots of stories at our disposal, so we know how betrayals are supposed to go. In general, they're supposed to go one of two ways. If the betrayal is successful, then the protagonist or the object of betrayal is killed, and then whatever community or effort or family or mob that he's a part of, empire, is supposed to dissolve and crumble. That's what's supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, that happens in any number of cases. The, the other way the betrayal story goes is, if the betrayal's unsuccessful, or only partially successful, then what follows is revenge. Blood flows down the streets as the person who was betrayed comes back from the nearly dead think like Kill Bill and the Bride, and tracks down every single one of their opponents until retributive justice is done. Well, what do we have here in this case? What we have is 13 men in the pursuit of changing the world through love. That's Jesus' mission, to rescue the world. Um, and they're, they're, They've been gathered by Jesus to change the world. And what we have is, in the midst of them, one of them who's decided to betray Jesus, who's in a deep conspiracy with no one less than the devil, and uh, it's a successful betrayal. Jesus basically owns, this, this is going to happen. I'm going to die. And as you would expect in a betrayal, like you think of all the betrayal films you've seen, it's not pretty. It's going to be an ugly, horrific public death. Okay, You know, like William Wallace on the gallows. You know what that is? Yeah, yeah, some of you okay. that kind of thing, um, and that's going to lead to you know Jesus' absence. He's going to not be around because he died, and then the community is going to be, begin to dissolve. Even the chief leader, the bravest leader, Peter, is is going to fall away, run away, out of fear. This looks like a death and dissolution tale. Betrayal happens, death happens, it falls apart, mission over. Okay, and yet in verse. 1, chapter 14, Jesus says, Don't be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. 
Why? Why would they? Why would they? Why would any of the men in the room listen and believe what he has to say? And why should we? Moreover, based on what Jesus is saying about his death and betrayal, and his absence, and how his own followers are going to fail him, how, are, how is Jesus and his followers, how are we supposed to change the world, which was the mission, when his community, the community of followers, are still plagued by these kind of things? We still have betrayal. We still have trouble. We still have treachery. We still have weakness. How are we supposed to be a blessing to the world when we're still falling apart, it seems, all the time? Have you noticed? Like, It's often like that in the church, in Jesus' communities. But what we're going to see is that in Jesus we have a reason to be confident, to confidently believe even when everyone lets us down. In Jesus you have reason to be confident even when everyone lets you down. So tonight we're going to talk about uh, being let down. And then this calm confidence we can have in Jesus, okay? So the letdown here begins right off the bat. Uh, again, Jesus has loved his own. The text makes a point of that. He loves them to the end. He knows he's going to die. He, he washes his feet as an act of service. But then loving them means telling them what's going to happen. And uh, he is preparing them for what's about to happen. And, and that begins with his betrayer, with this betrayer's defection. He hints at it many times throughout John. He hints at it in verse 18. But then he says it very explicitly in verses 21 and what follows. Verse 21 tells us he's deeply troubled. That Jesus is personally deeply grieved, discomforted, troubled. And he says, truly, truly, one of you will betray me. It would help for you to know perhaps what this room and setup would have been like. Okay, it's, it's quite possible that this was a special, special meal. Night of the Passover, perhaps, probably, celebrating the Passover meal. Uh, it was a meal of celebration, solemn, because of uh, Jesus' impending death. He knows it's going to happen. But also incredibly intimate, friendly, loving. Later on, when we read that John was laying up against him, like head on his chest, that's because of the love in the group. They, they were reclining in a circle, feet extended, almost like your arm and your head in the, in the chest of the man beside you. This is a loving family meal. Okay, And in the context of this intimate, loving meal, Jesus looks up and says, One of you around this table is going to betray me. Okay, Just to think about the love and the intimacy and the years of relationships. And then dropping that bomb into the conversation. Jesus has known this for some time. And he shares it with these men. And they struggle to understand. Uh, it's hard for them to imagine. And... Uh, they basically was like, well, who is it? And uh, they go through this seemingly uh, uh, elaborate identification process where Jesus says, uh, the guy to whom I'll give this morsel. And uh, in ancient history, giving a morsel was like a, a special gift. Like, this is the best piece of bread or the best piece of meat. And so it's handed to Judas, which to us makes it seem like, hey, okay, everyone knows it's him. Like, Jump on him and beat the crap out of that guy. Don't let him out of the room. I mean, that would be a normal reaction, I think. Um, and yet, it makes clear in verse 28 and 29 that no one really understands what's going on. And, and Jesus actually tells them, what you have to do, go do now. Just get on with it. 
And uh, he goes out, and as verse 30 makes it clear, he goes out, and it's, it's dark. It's night. Uh, this is John being a really good writer. Not only is it night, but, but it's over for Judas. His heart is black as darkness, and this spells Jesus' doom. This is the hour of darkness. And uh, you, you may want to know, like, or ask, like, why didn't the disciples stop him? Are they that stupid? You have to understand. These men have been with Jesus for three years. They knew each other very well. It was completely unimaginable that one of them would betray him. They could not possibly imagine that one of them who'd been called by him, who'd loved him and followed him everywhere, would possibly betray their master. They just couldn't even think it was conceivable. But, but Jesus gets it. He knows how this ends. This ends on a cross. This ends in a, in a public, humiliating death. And uh, that means for the disciples, they will now experience a new kind of relationship with Jesus. He will not be with them anymore. Distance is now the norm. In verses 33 and 36 through 36, he tells them, Hey, just for a little while now, I'll be with you. And then no more. And where I'm going, you can't come. He needs to let his men know what this means. I'm going to die, and you can't be with me anymore. And he speaks with tenderness. Verse 33, little children. And that's, if someone called me a little child, I'd be like, how dare you? Do you know who you're talking to? Show me some respect. I'm not even sure I'd say it, but I'd certainly be thinking it. Uh, but this is the language of a loving parent to his children when he knows he's about to die and will never see them again. This is tender love. This is a goodbye uh, to them. And uh, he's been with them. He's loved them to the end. And he knows the end is here now. And they will no longer have the kind of relationship with him that they've had. It will be different. There will be distance in this relationship for the first time. He's trying to help them understand. They don't quite get it. But this is part of being let down. All this is part of let, being let down. The, this, uh, the, the treachery from within, the new distance in the relationship. And then lastly, part of being let down. The deep personal disappointment that, that Peter will experience that, that's foretold in verses 36 to 38. Here we have brave Peter. He's, he's disappointed that there's going to be distance. He wants to know, why, why, where are you going? Where are you going that I can't follow you? Why, why can't I follow you? And Jesus says, you, you can't follow me now. You'll follow me later. And, and brave Peter in verse 37 is determined. I will follow you anywhere. I will lay down my life for you. I will do anything to go where you go. And, uh, and, and Jesus in response says in verse 38, oh, oh, will you really? Truly, truly, I say to you, for the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Uh, there was a general in the Civil War named John Sedgwick. He was a, uh, a Union general. And uh, he was actually a successful general. He was also very well uh, known for his bravery. He was uh, shot on three different occasions, survived each one. Uh, he was seemingly immune to fear. And uh, perhaps that's why, in his last moments on earth, John Sedgwick said something like, They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And then he was dead. So that's the kind of confidence that Peter has. He literally has no idea what's about to hit him right between the eyes. I will follow you anywhere. I will lay down my life for you. And Peter is warned clearly, you're going to deny me 
three times. Couldn't hit an elephant from here. Just the, the pride that he has sets him up for the most painful, deep, personal disappointment he will ever endure. Harder for Peter, perhaps even in the distance and the treachery, is this, that after proclaiming so proudly and so strongly that he would go with Jesus anywhere, he runs, and he runs first. He's the first one. And uh, this great, faithful, proud, brave leader deserts his Lord. So defection, distance, deep personal disappointment. All in Jesus' community. These are his best people. He chose them on his own. And we have these things in his community, okay? And uh, so let's talk about community real quick. Sometimes Jesus' community is a real letdown. It just is. And if it's a real letdown when Jesus is there in the room, I mean, he handpicked them. He was with them all the time. If it was a huge letdown then, how much more should we perhaps expect it to be less than perfect now? Um, I don't want to make light of this. I know it's, it's quite possible there. Some of you in this room have experienced real deep, uh, painful hurt. Um, you've seen people you love walk away from the community of faith. You've, uh, you've seen leaders fail. Perhaps you've had leaders personally harm you or someone in your family. And so it's possible that you come to something like this saying, I'm not so sure that I'm actually interested. Or, I'm so interested in Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church or the community anymore. And it's, it's, it's also possible that some of you are here looking for that, that perfect community, that place where you best fit in. And, and here, I just want to gently warn you that if Jesus, Jesus, like the perfect man, handpicks his own followers, spends three years with them all the time, and they, in the end, let him down like this, it's, it's, uh, it's at least somewhat likely that you will be disappointed. There just is no perfect community. Some are better than others, but there is no perfect community. And I just want to let you know that, so you won't be terribly, deeply disappointed. And some of you, of course, are Peter. The disappointment you may experience here is not that of finding a community to let you down at Pittsburgh. It's that, at the University of Pittsburgh, it's finding out sometime in the next four years that you're not the person you thought you were. That you begin to do something here that you never thought you would do. Or perhaps you walk away from the faith for a long time and you wake up startled halfway through your junior year saying, I never could have imagined I would do that. Or be that kind of person. And... uh, what you need to know is that for some reason or other, Jesus, in chapter 14, verse 1, signals that he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on this community. He doesn't give up on those who let him down. He calls them and says, don't be too troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. And he calls them as well to love one another. Love one another. Trust in me. And right here, if you're sharp and listening, and I hope you're at least doing one of those, um, you should ask, okay, why? Why? Like, one of your followers has left you, and the brave one's a coward, and you're going to be distant from us. Why should I care? Why should I follow you? 
uh, you spend all this time with these people and invested in them, and they, they seem like a bunch of losers. Why should I spend any time with your people? And, and Jesus here calls them, calls us to this calm confidence in Jesus in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. And uh, he gives reasons why we should trust him. He gives reasons why we can be confident in him. Okay? Uh, the first is the Bible. And that might not be readily apparent to you as you're reading through. But he actually talks about it pretty clearly in verses 18 to 20. When he warns his men about the betrayal, he does it by talking about Scripture. In verse 18 he says, Hey, the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and he's talking about Psalm 41 verse 9, they have to be fulfilled. It was, it was foretold that, that the Messiah would be betrayed. And it's happening. I'm not surprised. You shouldn't be either. I know all about this. This is God's plan. The Bible tells us this is going to happen. And in, in verse 19, he tells them, listen guys, you need to know this is really important. Listen, this betrayal that's about to happen, if you don't understand what's going on, it's going to rock your world. You're going to think this is all over. Oh, he, I thought he was the son of God, but he got betrayed by like Judas. Like, I guess he wasn't so powerful after all. Mission over. We were idiots, fools. What were we thinking? And Jesus says, no, no, you need to listen. Pay attention. I know it's going to happen. And I'm telling you it's going to happen. So after it happens, you'll know. I told you. It had to happen. It's all part of the plan. That's what he, it's, what he, it's exactly what it says in verse 19. I'm telling you now, so when it takes place, you will believe that I am He. And uh, Jesus is saying, this is part of the plan. It's not all, it's not, you're not being fools. It is part of the plan. It, it seems really unlikely and a really weird way of doing things, I know. But it's part of God's plan. And that's not the last part of Scripture. This is where it ends in verse 20. When this all happens, you'll know that I am He, and then what will happen? Verse 20 is really interesting. You read it, and you're like, that sounds like a riddle. Uh, Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Like, you could actually, like, pull out a piece of paper and start graphing that if you wanted. Um, What Jesus is saying is actually pretty simple. He's saying, God the Father sent me on a mission that the world might know you. And I'm going to send you. That right there, time out, stop. That's shocking. What do you mean you're going to send us? You're going to die in a minute. There'll be no you or us left. What do you mean you're going to send us? Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm not only going to send you, you're going to go. And when people hear you preach, and when they read your writing, that's what the book of John is, by the way. John was one of the guys in the room. After this was all over, he wrote it. When they hear your word and believe you in your testimony, it's like they're trusting me. It's like they're believing me. And when they receive me, they receive the Father. That's pretty awesome. Jesus is saying, listen guys, I know you don't know what's understand. You don't understand what's going on. This, this is so much in the plans that at the end of this, you're going to believe me and you're going to write Scripture. You're going to write it, John. You're going to write Scripture and people are going to read it and believe it and know me and know my Father. The Bible. A reason to believe we can be confident in Jesus is the Bible. And that's why in RUF, I stand up every week and do this. We're confident that God speaks through His Word, that these are the words of God, that this is how we come to know Him and rest in Him. Uh, This also means that the mission's not over. 
And uh, you see this here. Hey, uh, I'm still going to send you. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to die, but you're still going to go. You're still going to tell. People are still going to hear, and they're still going to receive, and they're still going to come to know God. And uh, he also tells them in verse 34 and 35, uh, you are also called to love one another. And when you do that, the whole world will see. The nations will see. And in these two ways, God makes himself known through his people, by his word and by our love. Mission's still on. Jesus, you're dying. It's all over. Oh, oh, contraire, actually. No, no, you are going to go and tell them about my love and my life and my death and resurrection. You're going to share God's word. And when you do, they believe. And when they see your love, they're going to believe. Mission is still on. But to make sense of both of those, that the mission's still on and that God still speaks through his word, it takes one other thing, and that's the cross. Why does the betrayal of Jesus not completely end this? Really, I mean, why why is it not completely over? Why is Jesus not just some other Galilean false Messiah pretender who dies on a cross? Thousands and thousands of people died on crosses. What makes him any different? And uh, Jesus actually tells us in these verses why this is different. Why this horrible thing that happens to him is not a tragedy. In verse 31, as, as, Jesus, as Judas goes out, I mean, literally, as he's walking out the door to, in, to set the wheels in motion that will have Jesus dead within 24 hours, Jesus turns around and says, What? I'm about to die. No, he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Did, did you hear that? Does that strike any of you as strange, ironic, paradoxical, weird? Your man walks out to hand you over to the authorities to be killed within 24 hours, and you turn and say, now it's time to be glorified. And Jesus is here hinting, telling them, and he uses the word glorified five times in two verses. Listen, I know you think this is a tragedy. This is all God's plan to rescue his people. This is how it will become clear to everyone that God the Father has a plan to rescue his people. And he says here in verse 31, what I'm going to do is going to glorify the Father. My death, which is hideous and horrible and tragic, will actually be a display of of God's great love. When you really understand it, you'll see God's love is great. He's willing, God is willing to take flesh and die for us. That glorifies Him. Verse 32, He says, and it will glorify me. That in the cross, God the Father will bring me glory. I will return to my Father and have the glory I had before. And in my resurrection, it will become clear that I am the Lord. That I am the, I'm the God-man that I always said I was. And I will be glorified that, that my death is a victory over sin and death. I just want to remind you that Jesus could have stopped this. He knew who was going to betray him, right? He had, they outnumbered that guy. I mean, he could have, they could have stopped this. He chose not to. Because he knew the cross was not a tragedy. He knew it was the way to glory. There's one other thing about the cross we need to see. And that is later in verse 38, when Peter's making all these grand promises about how, how bravely he's going to follow. Uh, Jesus asks a simple question. Will, will you lay down your life for me? And uh, that's highly ironic. That's the language that Jesus used much earlier in chapter 10 in John. 
where he said, and his disciples would have heard him, I lay down my life for my sheep, my people. I lay it down and I take it up and no one can take it away from me. Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'm not going to die until it's time. And when it's time, it's because it's time. Because I have the authority to give my life away. And, and Peter is saying, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got it all wrong. You're not laying down your life for me. I'm laying down my life for you, Peter. No, you're going to let me down. You're going to flee and run like a coward in my moment of need. But I'm going to lay down my life for you. That is the cross. That's the heart of Christianity. It's, it's not our love for Him so much as His love for us. It's not us laying down our life for Him, but Him laying down His life for us. Let's put this all together. What's this mean? Listen, this was Jesus' own community. And they let Him down. They let Him down, right? And what did He do? He loved them. To the very end. To death. Uh, And that's why we can have confidence. That's why we can rest in Him. Because of His great authority and His love. This was His purpose. This is what He did for His people. This is what He does to rescue us and bring us to Him and bring us together and make us a community of love. Well, you know what? I was going to share this awesome Batman